But gratefully today, those who have their hope in Christ and have trusted Him are clothed in His righteousness. Before we get in, we want to pray. We want to thank the Lord that we do have a group of people, as Pastor Tony mentioned, meeting on Saturday nights here on our campus and celebrating the goodness of His grace. And I also want to pray for a church. We've been praying for different churches here in Rice Lake. Uh, we prayed for this church before, Providence Reformed Baptist Church. We want to pray for them because this week, Pastor Steve and his wife, uh, Sarah lost her father who was living at their home and for a while, then just recently they moved him to a nursing home. And So he's preaching today and then the funeral is Tuesday and there's, he's just got a lot of pressures and I've been praying for him all week. We as pastors have been praying for them. So let's, let's pray for that church because it's, it's, it's a sorrowful time, a joyful time. And he's very spent already. So let's, let's pray for that church. Father, we come before you and we thank you that we gather as a local body, worshiping, celebrating your goodness. And all around us, there are others who gather. Last night, we had a church, a group of people, speaking in a different language, celebrating your goodness, proclaiming your truth. And we are so grateful that we have the resources to help them. A place that they can come and celebrate You. And Lord, we just lift up Pastor Steve to You right now. I know that he's tired. I pray that out of his weakness right now as he's preparing to preach this morning, You would flow through him and people would know this is all about You and Your power and Your might. And I pray that You would also give him the endurance, the strength, the compassion, counsel the wisdom and the words to share in these next couple days and he has the funeral coming up just be with him may he lean so ever patiently on your mighty arm we pray for the family give them peace and comfort and father god we pray that this morning you be exalted in this room in our hearts as we look at a passage that sometimes is hard we can skip over. But Lord, awaken us to the reality that we desperately need to have our allegiance to You, our Master. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have been going through Ephesians. And I pulled out one of the Bibles I've been preaching out of and it started to fall apart because my other Bible, Ephesians, fell out of. And uh, so I've got this one. That's, I may have to use some glue or something. We've been looking at the part of Ephesians talking about special relationships within the family. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, didn't bring one, we have one in front of you. Ephesians chapter 6. We've been looking at what it means to have a Spirit-filled life, a Spirit-filled family. And this starts in Ephesians chapter 5. Being filled with the Spirit, or by the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And I love how it says right here, Paul just spells it out. This is what it takes to be filled with the Spirit. This is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Contra to sometimes what we may see on TV. Being filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 It's done by... Speaking, by singing, by making, by thanking the Lord. These are ways that you can be filled by the Spirit. And that's verses 19 and 20. 
And then another one is out of verse 21, where it says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Submission is one way that you can be filled by the Spirit. This is a call for mutual submission, yet as we see coming up here, it's not completely mutual submission on every plane. Yes, there should be submission, but there should be leaders. There should be someone in charge. And then he gives instructions to wives and husbands, children and parents, and now slaves and masters. Even though they fall under mutual submission, someone submits to another. And it's interesting as you study this And if you look at the writings in the New Testament era, there are many who are philosophers of the time. They wrote about the same stuff. They wrote about how a household should be conducted and how household codes should be done. But the Bible does four different things than anyone else did at that time. The Bible does the same thing. It says, hey, this is how a household should be run, but four different things stand out as I study this. Verse 21. The one of authority, the one who is in charge, the head of the house, the parents, the master, their mindset should not be, I'm the boss, but a servant leader. A servant leader. Number two, it's interesting when I read some of the articles that were written back then, they always addressed the men, never the women. Never the children. Never the slaves. They always talked about those who were in charge, but never those of lesser view. Where Scripture looks at us. We were all created in the image of God. We all have value. Number three, something that isn't written about, but the Bible says, be considerate of those who you have charge of. You're not just the master and boss, but be considerate of those underneath you. Again, the writings of this time didn't say that at all. And ultimately, the most important thing, the fourth thing is, Paul includes Christ as the focus of each of these areas. It should be Christ-centered. So let's take the passage at hand that we have here. Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as you were serving the Lord, not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he is, he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. As we finish up our section, this big section in Ephesians, and next week we'll begin our last major section we're going to be looking at slaves and masters as mentioned here and i i encourage you whenever you get to a passage sometimes you're like oh slaves and masters it's always important to look at the whole counsel of god 
Don't just pull out one section and go, this is what it says. Look at the whole counsel of God. It's good to look at all of Scripture when dealing with a hard passage. In fact, for me, this is one of the hardest passages in Ephesians. And we'll see why here in a moment. It's good to look at the context of this specific history instead of reading our history into it, which we can so easily do with something. So what I want to do to begin with is I want to take a little time and look at the history and then into our specific passage here. Understanding slaves and slavery in historical context. Very important to do when you look at this passage. So let's talk about Old Testament history. When you look at the Old Testament, they talk often about slaves. They do talk about slavery. They talk about servants, bond servants. And the primary focus in the Old Testament when they talk about this falls under two categories. Slavery and what we call bond servants. Not just servants like we picture, like a maid, but a bond servant. They're mentioned often in the Old Testament. Slavery was this. It was bondage and oppression. Someone who conquered another group and the other people became slaves to them, having no protection, no rights. We see this between Genesis and Exodus. The children of Israel were slaves to who? The Egyptians. For four, over 400 years, they were slaves to them. That's a type of slavery that we see in the Old Testament. Someone who has no rights, no protection. They were slaves. Another type found in the Old Testament would be a bondservant. They were treated well. They were not abused. And if they were mistreated, if you were someone who had a servant, a slave like this, if you mistreated them, it says in Scripture, you would get the judgment of God upon you. In fact, some of these bond servants, some of these slaves, some of these servants, you could call them, were even adopted into some of the Israelite families. They weren't like we picture the Pharaoh and the Egyptians, that type of slavery. There was another category of those who were part of the family that served them, and some of them were even adopted into families. Genesis chapter 15. New Testament history. In the first century under the Greco-Roman system, Slavery was an important part of the social system. In the time that the New Testament was written, slavery, this term here, was an important part of the social order and system. In fact, it's considered that at the Roman Empire at this time, a third of the people were slaves. A third of them were slaves. And over half of them used to be slaves. At one time or another. Slaves had few rights at this time. So imagine, again, we're, we pitch when we hear the term slave, we think of you know, chains and whips and then bondage, and they, they, they go to the, you know, they barely get to eat. But a third of the system were fall under this category of slaves. They had few rights. They could worship, they could marry, they could have money to someday hopefully purchase their freedom. Many were skilled farmers. Farmers, you're not slaves. But sometimes you feel like it, maybe. They were physicians. They were teachers. They were writers, readers. A rich family could have someone come, and you're our teacher, and you're the one that teaches. And they were educated. 
and they would teach their children. Some of them were domestic servants. Many of these were considered parts of the family. In fact, Romans 16 mentions someone, hey, encourage this, encourage this person, because they were, even though they were a slave of the family, they were part of the family. They worshiped together. In fact, they could go to church with their masters. That's why, again, this is written to slaves who were sitting in the church at the time of Ephesus. And they were listening to this. So this dealt with them. Three main ways you became a slave at this time. In this time of history and this specific region. One, you were born by parents who were part of this slave system, this bond servant. Again, I think the best term might be bond servant because again, we'll talk about our history. Slave, we just picture something different. If your parents were part of this bond servant system, this this you were born into that, you were part of their family and you belonged to that. And I remember I can't think of the English movie I saw. I don't want too many British movies because I can't understand what they're saying. Their accents just horrible and I'm speak the way we do, you know. You invented the language. Come on. And uh so I was trying to figure out what movie it is, but there, it's, it's a story of an older man, and he's got a child that's going to replace him to the family. You were born into it. Another way that you could become a slave at this time was a prisoner of war. During wartime, if you were conquered, you could then be part of the slave system war. And a third one, slave because of a financial debt. You owed a lot of money. Some of you feel like that. If you go to college, you're like, oh, I'm going to be a slave to the system. And honestly, this is the most common way that in the New Testament, slaves were around. A third of them, most of them, had this debt they owed to someone. So they said, I will work for you. I will be indebted to you for a certain period of time. Because at this time, when we look at history, there weren't many major wars. Not many people were conquered like this, like we think of. So this was the primary focus. In the historical documents of the time of Caesar Augustus and Cicero, I've read some of this stuff, they put an age, even the Roman empires, even the leaders, even those who were in charge, they put an age and limitations on slavery. It can only be this long. And most of them, they said, could earn their freedom by the age of 30. The majority of cases, records that we see in this time period, slaves were treated fairly. But also there are examples of serious abuse by masters. In fact, in the New Testament, the common word translated for this word is Doulos, that's why I'm wearing my t-shirt today. Slave. So doulos is this word used here. Doulos conveys the idea of a person being a slave or a servant to another. And depending on the context of the word, it can refer to different aspects of relationship. A couple examples would be this. Jesus uses the word doulos in his parables. Slaves, this is how you are to work and be under your masters. Paul asked for Onesimus' freedom, who was a slave in Philemon 16. He says, please free him. Let him be free because he was a great worker to help me in the ministry. And he encourages a slave to seek freedom in 1 Corinthians 7. Seek freedom if you're a slave. 
But he says, comma, but your true freedom is in Christ. So doulos is this word. And it's also used metaphorically to describe those who serve the Lord and the church. Thus, one of my favorite t-shirts I have on right now, this comes from Romans chapter 1. A, he says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. He is a slave. And the back, it's in Greek there, says, I've been bought with a price. I belong to Him. So those who are Christians, we'll see this in a moment, we belong to Christ. We are slaves of Christ. Also in James and in Romans 6, he says, don't be a slave to sin, be a slave to righteousness. Be a slave to Christ. So that's some of the history of the New Testament and the use of the word. The use of slave in the Bible is hard for us. This is a hard passage because how we commonly understand slavery. Let me talk a little bit about our American history. We talked about Old Testament, New Testament, now our history. Our shameful past. Slavery in America was horrific. It was a sad thing. And we still should condemn something like that. Even when I was studying this, I saw some of the pictures, some of the things in the articles. It was just horrible. Based upon racism, based upon color of skin, based upon kidnapping, based upon whatever can benefit my wallet. Not all of it was that bad, but there is a horrible past that we have. It's our shameful past and our shameful present people. Most of us would say, well, we don't have slaves today like it was. No way. But human trafficking today is horrible. It's one of the great evils of today. And if you even see on this little pie chart, some of it has to do with sexual, some of it has to do with labor. It's horrible. It's the great crime of the world is human trafficking. And let me just say this. This passage isn't dealing with that type of slavery. So anyone who's caught in any of that type of slavery shouldn't read this and go, I must obey my master. Not at all. Again, this passage we must read in its context. Our shameful past and our shameful present. The Bible hates that and is opposed to that. Read Exodus 21. Read Galatians chapter 3. That's why this passage can be hard for us today. It's hard because we, it's easy to read our own mindset, our own past that we hear about in textbooks that aren't always true. When I hear slave, I think of an African American bound by chains in a cotton field or something. So when I read this, that's what I could maybe picture. Instead, we are to read what Paul was speaking to, who he was speaking to, and that situation to the Christians of his time. There are many problems that affected the church at Ephesus. Some of them were Christians were fighting against each other. Some of them were the inappropriate behavior of believers. Some were the backing of elders. The church was just doing their own thing and not listening to the elders. Also, Christian slaves were bringing shame to the Gospel 
by how they treated their masters. We see this in 1 Timothy. So it's hard because we want to read our history into it. Let's understand the Bible's context. It's also hard because we don't own slaves today. How many of you own a slave today? Good, I'm glad no one rose their hand. So when we read this, it says, slaves obey your masters. Well, we don't own slaves today, so this must not pertain to me, so I'm going to skip it over and uh, we'll go to the next part. Again, there's always truth in Scripture. All Scripture is useful for rebuke and correction, training in righteousness. And this is sometimes a hard. Instead of reading it that way, we will contextualize it and say, what can we fit for us today? And as commonly done with this passage, employee-employer relationships. Because that fits pretty much how it was in this time period. This is very relevant for work relationships, and it fits well with us today. And it's Labor Day weekend. Very fitting how it fits for us today. So let's look at our passage here. Four main thoughts seen in our passage. Verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not to win their favor when their eyes are on you. We must know that he was encouraging slaves to obey their masters with respect, with sincerity of heart. Not just simple obedience to fulfill the obligations, but do it out of respect. Slaves, you should do that. That's what he's saying. A hard-working person at this time, in fact, I read some articles, those who were in these positions, physicians, teachers, those who could write, those who were hard-working were regarded very high in the Jewish circles. Now to modern-day employer-employee relationships. As an employee, listen to this. How many of you are hired by someone or work for someone? Raise your hand, okay? All right, that's a lot of us. All those who are retired are like, ha, ha, ha. Do the work that you've been given with integrity. Don't wait till 5 o'clock and it's 4.59. Oh, I punched out. Woo! I shaved off a minute there. Do the work given to you with integrity. Dishonoring your boss. Listen to this, those who are working. Dishonoring your boss and falsely depict Christianity. We are to give the right attitude of obedience to your bosses, to those who you work for. And if you're a boss, you work for someone. And if you respect your boss and do quality work, this can help make the gospel more believable because hopefully they know that you're different, that you are a slave of Jesus Christ. You belong to someone. You've been bought with a price. Those who profess Christ and are insubordinate to their bosses and cheat and lie and do things and are lazy are a poor witness to the unbelieving world. Christians work hard. I don't get into this here, but there's this Protestant ethic that we have of working hard. My job is not just to work. It's an opportunity to serve Christ and show the beauty of Christ. Thus, 
labor hard for him. So workers, work hard. The next part, found in the middle of chapter 6, or verse 6 here. Slave, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as you were serving the Lord, not men. Slaves of Christ. Slaves should not serve as people pleasers. Don't all be squeaky clean when the boss is around and grumpy in your heart when they're not. And let others know around the office, oh, I can't stand this place. And the boss comes, I love this place and I love you. No. Do this as a slave of Christ. Recognize that your true master is not your boss. Your true master is Christ who expects you to glorify God in and possibly a difficult situation. I'm not going to raise your hand because maybe your co-workers are here or your boss is here. How many of you work for sometimes people that are hard to work for or it's a tough situation? Great, our secretary just rolls her hand. The only one, right? I'm the mean old boss in the office. Listen. You belong to Christ. You are slave to Christ. We say, be thou my vision. There's many, many lines in that, that hymn. In fact, I think they keep adding some, which is great. But my favorite line is, thou and thou only first in my heart. That's my mindset. Not my paycheck, not my boss, not my family. Thou and thou only first in my heart. Because I belong to Christ. I've been bought with a price. As an employee, I'm not to be motivated to work hard to win their favor, but to bring pleasure to God. Your work, in fact, I believe God is sovereign. He's placed you in that specific place for multiple reasons, and one is to bring glory to Christ. Glory to the Father, through the power of the Spirit. Why? The foundation of our doulos, the foundation of our servitude, is to follow the example of Christ. And he humbled himself, took the form of a doulos, it says in Philippians chapter 2, and obeyed the Father. He took the nature of a servant, of a slave. While I may belong to a factory, while I may belong to an office, on the earthly plane, I ultimately belong to Christ on a heavenly plane. Does that make sense? You are a slave of Christ. You belong to Him. And when you are enslaved to Christ, those are the ones who are truly free to serve. So employees, the job is not just work. It's an opportunity to serve Christ and show the beauty of Christ. Thus, labor hard to honor Him as a slave of Christ. The next part we see here in verse 7. Serve as to the Lord. We are to do this, our work, whatever task we have, it's to the Lord. That's the main focus. Slaves were to carry out the responsibilities as they would obey, serve, and work for Christ. Your job isn't serving this business that you work for your job isn't serving just so you can provide financial help to your family and good food or whatever it is that you do on labor day weekend 
ultimately you obey and serve and work for Christ. And this can be hard and difficult for those when you have a boss who's overbearing and crude. And your attitude should be carried out as if you're serving the Lord. So if someone, Paul's speaking to slaves here, if you have a, a, a master who's hard, get the mindset you're doing this as to the Lord, not to them. As to the Lord. This is kind of like the words given to the children. Obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. And the primary duty of children to obey is not just their parents, but they do it out of their devotion to Christ. The same is here. As you obey your human master, ultimately, you're obeying and serving Christ. What happens if you have a mean master? My father-in-law wrote this in his commentary. They may be mistreated by their earthly owner, but they will one day be vindicated by the exalted Christ, and that will bring eternal glory and honor that will make up much more than their earthly dishonor. Serve as to the Lord. As an employee, workers are to do their responsibility as they would obey, serve, and work for Christ. We must have that mindset. Remember, you ultimately Christ. He is far greater than your boss. So if your boss is rude, just go, well, I've got a better boss than you. You can transform ordinary tasks. How many of you have a job sometimes where you just go, oh, why do I have to do this? There's parts of my job where I just go, oh, why do I have to do this part of administration and, and fill out these little forms? I just, oh, I don't like it. But I've got to get the mindset. My motivation is to do it out of reverence for Christ. And if I get it done in time and order, order, it helps others around me. And you're ultimately serving Christ. You have a greater master. Even though you do have a boss, you have a greater master. Serve the Lord. In obeying your boss, you're actually serving God. And that can give you strength to be gracious and joyful in your service. So if you feel like quitting your job, if you feel like, oh, I hate this place, I'm done with it, who are you serving? Get the right focus. Do what you can to bear witness to the Lord. God has placed you there for a reason. Set your mind on things above by getting fed and going deep and then serving well. Let me just say something about this. It's so important to get your mind set on things above. And the two ways you do that is by going deep and feeding very well. Just, just soaking up as much as you can. And we at our church offer so much for you. This fall, as we've seen, we have two studies coming up. The Truth Project is great. I've gone through that. If you are curious about how to defend your faith or what we have you know, just in the world and how society is, it's such a great study. Please join up for that. Men, you've got Sunday breakfasts coming up. We're going to start getting deep with you men. It's not just going to be sitting around dancing, kumbia, and seeing who can eat the most bacon. We're going deep. Ladies, you've got studies coming up. James is coming up. Go deep. Wednesday nights, I'm going to do a Bible study. I did it last year. We did how to study the Bible. This year, what do we believe as Christians? What does the Bible teach us about God, angels, demons, man, sin, salvation, the Word of God? Every Wednesday night, we're just going to study deep some of the great truths, the doctrines of our faith. Go deep, people. But also, serve well. 
serve well. Don't just go deep and sit fat in your chair like you get all this stuff. Serve well. We have some needs in Awana. We have some positions that are needed in Sunday school. Serve well as a family. Lastly, as an employee, wrote this down in this section, my job is not just work. Again, it's an opportunity to serve Christ and show the beauty of Christ. Therefore, labor hard to honor Him. Now the section on masters. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that He who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no favoritism with Him. As the slaves are to be respectful and responsible, so are the masters. Masters are to return the same attitude as Scripture says and not mistreat their slaves, their bondservants. Slaves should be controlled by, listen to this, slaves should be controlled by love and loyalty. That's a great way to do it, masters. Rather than intimidation. A concept that was radical in the first century. In the first century, slaves and masters, oh, you know what that was. Now the Bible says, love, kindness. Why? Because guess what, masters? You have a master in heaven. God will judge poor behavior and reward good behavior to the owners as well as the slaves for they answer to God for both their attitudes and their actions. Both slaves and masters are responsible to live out their earthly social circumstance. Do it right. Now to today, as an employer, how many of you might be a boss? How many of you have people that work underneath you? If you're a boss or an owner of a company, know this, you have a master. You're not the head honcho. You're not the main big boss guy. You have a master. Even though I'm the shepherd of this church, I'm an under-shepherd. There is a great shepherd above me. Do what is right and fair with those who work underneath you. Ask, as I do in a variety of different ways, ask, how are you doing? What are you doing? How can I help you? How are you doing? What are you doing? How can I help you? We are going to live with different social circumstances. We're going to live in different economic situations. We will live in different governmental settings. But we must find our place in society and as a slave of Jesus Christ... Every relationship we are to have the context is this. I must focus on the beauty of Christ. That should be your focus. So let me close with this line here that we've repeated, but I've changed a little bit for you bosses. My job is not just to be a boss. It's an opportunity to serve Christ and show the beauty of Christ. Lead and labor to honor Him, people. Lead and labor to honor Him. So whenever Labor Day comes around, think of 
I labor for him. I work for him because I have a master and I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have given us not just instructions in Scripture on what we should do in our society, in our different roles, but Jesus, you gave us the greatest example. You, who are the Prince of Peace, you are the great and glorious one. You do not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but you instead took the form of a bondservant. You humbled yourself. You became a doulos for us that we might live. And I pray that we would today, whatever role we have in our jobs, we would do it to honor you. And as our role in society, may we speak boldly against the injustice in this world when it comes to human slavery today. And even though we live up here in Rice Lake, Wisconsin, may we still find ways to impact this world so people get free from human trafficking and that may find you, Jesus, as their Savior. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand in?